0: This ABA Journal podcast is brought to you by Westlaw Next, building on the strengths of Westlaw to bring you the next evolution of legal research. The most significant innovation in 30 years its a complete research system that gives you confidence you found the most relevant information. And it elevates productivity with intuitive workflow tools. Learn more at westlawnext.com. These days, if you peruse the Internet, you can't help but come across websites from disgruntled law students and new lawyers. From sites like First Tier Toilet and Third Tier Reality, bloggers are complaining about the job market for legal professionals. Some go so far as to call law school a scam. At the same time, some members of the legal community, from law school deans to current students, are working together to reach a solution. I'm going to be the moderator of a discussion. I am Anna Marie Stolle. I'm a journalist who specializes in legal issues. I recently wrote about concerns over the information that law schools are providing to prospective students. I have with me Kimber Russell. She's a 2008 graduate of DePaul University College of Law and the author of Shilling Me Softly. She's also founder of DownByLaw.org and co-host of their weekly legal podcast, Down by Lawcast. And she is currently employed by a bar review company where she works closely with students who are on the verge of entering the job market. I also have with me David N. Yellen. He's the chair of the American Bar Association's Standards Review Committee subcommittee on Standard 509. His subcommittee is responsible for evaluating the consumer information law schools should provide. Mr. Yellen is also the Dean of the Loyola University Chicago School of Law. And finally, I have with me Kyle McEntee, and he's the Executive Director of Law School Transparency. That's an organization calling for increased law school disclosure. Mr. McEntee is also a 3L at Vanderbilt University Law School. So I'm just going to start off by asking, what is the reality of the job market these days for new lawyers? Kyle, do you want to answer
1: that?
2: Sure. Uh, the numbers are certainly down everywhere. Uh, jobs are hard to come by, and I suspect lots of people will have to take temporary jobs. Now, from my standpoint, it's difficult to speak more than about Vanderbilt, but, I mean, things look okay here, especially for clerks. Fewer people will certainly have jobs at graduation than in years past.
3: And, Kimber, what are you seeing? well i'm seeing a, a little bit of a different situation because as you as you noted, I am on the ground uh, at, at a variety of law schools. I cover seven law schools in my region, and it's really grim out there, especially at some of the the lower ranked law schools. Students are desperate for any kind of work that they can find, and there there is definitely a growing sense of despair when students are looking at just the sheer number of their colleagues who graduated a couple years before them who are still struggling to find employment of any kind, let alone legal. David, what's your perspective on all this?
1: Well, it definitely continues to be the toughest job market I've seen since I entered law school in 1981. It's, It's a combination of a really slow recovery from a deep recession and a time with lots of restructuring in the legal profession including outsourcing of jobs overseas. So most students, most graduates from our school are getting work, but a lot of them are underemployed, at least at the beginning of their careers now.
0: Uh, I've noticed that one of the biggest issues that maybe is different from uh, years past is the debt load that new lawyers are carrying. Is there somebody who wants to address that?
2: Sure. I'd say over the last 20 years, the data shows that the percentage of students attending law school with borrowed money is up, and they have about triple the debt. Now, the average debt at private schools is, for the class of 2010, somewhere north of $100,000. And uh, it's even higher for the current students um, in law school now. And I know people in my year with debt loads as high as $150,000 or $200,000. And um, in the recent New York Times article Uh, Mr. Wallerstein has about $250,000 of debt. Um, Salaries now are also up compared to 20 years ago, but they're not up high enough to justify the cost, and starting salaries are trending in a different direction than the cost of attending law school.
0: What's the median salary?
2: Uh, The median salary is difficult to to tell right now, um, but as far as I think the NALP data provides, Mm -hmm. it's somewhere in the range of 50 to the low 60s.
1: Well, it's really misleading to talk about the median salary of law school graduates because unlike 25 years ago when it was a sort of bell-shaped curve, now the, the salary distribution for recent graduates is a double bell-shaped curve. There's, the high peak is in the $140,000 range for the 20% or so of law graduates who go to work for the largest firms. But then the bulk of graduates center around sixty thousand dollars or thereabouts, according to the NALP data. So what the median might say ninety or hundred thousand dollars, but very few people are actually making that much. Most people are either making in the fifty to seventy range, or a much smaller number—the real astronomical salaries that you read about.
3: And again, that just goes to the students who are actually unable to secure legal employment upon graduation because in my, in my journeys, I'm seeing a lot of people who, um, as Dean Yellen pointed out, are, are, are really underemployed, either working in non-legal jobs. I've got, I've got friends who got jobs as salsa dancing instructors and bouncers at nightclubs in Chicago or some are trying to scrape by doing document review work. But, again, as Dean Yellen pointed out, because of legal process outsourcing, a lot of work that young attorneys would normally be able to do has been, has basically been taken, taken out of the realm of, of, of their choices.
0: Going to the bloggers, because I think that these maybe are some of the points that they're trying to make. Kimber, can you tell me some of the points that some of the uh,
3: bloggers out there are, t- are trying to make? Well, I would say the overwhelming sentiment expressed in these blogs is anger. And, and anger at having been, I guess the, the word you could use is duped. Many, many students come into the enterprise of law school pretty naive about the, what the legal profession is, how it works, what being a lawyer entails, and in addition the kind of value proposition of law school. And when they're coming out of it, Finally, their eyes are being opened, and they're realizing that they're, they're facing down, like Kyle said, $150,000, $250,000 of non-dischargeable student loan debt. And they're, they're finding that these jobs that they felt they were almost guaranteed when, when they were looking through the glossy brochures have either evaporated or were never really there to begin with. So there's a sense of anger. There's a sense of, of – you know, the, the, the term that gets thrown around a lot is law school scam, Many, many students feel like it is a, a sort of a ponzi scheme in the sense that it 's become a lottery and, and, and like Dean Yellen pointed out, only a small percentage of students who matriculate are going to be able to secure those big law jobs that, that have the kind of salaries that would justify taking on several hundred thousand of dollars of debt and the The reality for most, especially third and fourth tier law schools is that only a small fraction of those students will ever secure that type of employment and for most students it's just not a good it's not a good deal for them so there's a lot of anger there's a lot of disappointment and just disillusionment that's being expressed on these blogs and a lot of these stu- a lot of the, the writers of these blogs don't feel that they have a voice and that no one else wants to hear what they have to say
0: david as dean uh, do you see some of this this anger and what do you think is the responsibility for a law school to provide? What kind of information?
1: Well, let, let's start with the first question. I, in my student body, in my recent graduates, I don't see the kind of anger that Kimber is describing and I've seen among the bloggers. There's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uncertainty. But anger at the, our law school, uh, I, I don't see. In fact, we survey our graduating students, and the overwhelming majority of them are glad they went to law school and glad they went to our law school. It doesn't mean they're happy with their current situation, but I think the typical law grad still remains pretty optimistic about the future. Now, in terms of schools' obligations, I agree that there are a lot of law schools that are engaging in some pretty despicable practices. If you look at a school's website, and all they show is the median salary of people in private practice being $160,000, which a number of law schools say is their median salary in private practice. What they're not telling you is that only 30 40% of graduates will tell you what their salary is, and that tends to be the people who are getting the higher salaries. So to tout those kind of numbers without putting it into proper context, is truly misleading and, as I said, despicable. And I think people like Kyle and Kimber have done a real service in drawing attention to those bad practices.
0: Kyle, let's talk about your organization and what you all are trying to do.
2: Sure. So my organization, Law School Transparency, uh, was co-founded by uh, me and Patrick Lynch, a fellow Vanderbilt uh, student and now alum. And we basically took Vanderbilt's disclosure policy and said this is the kind of information that all law school applicants should have, and we decided to try and standardize this policy across the board. And in doing so, we have pushed the ABA in the right direction to solving the problem themselves because it's more appropriate for the ABA as the regulatory body to to do this than to have a, a, a nonprofit do it.
0: Let's talk about what the ABA is doing now, because I understand that you guys are working together, and I'd like to hear more about that.
1: Dean Dean Yellen, do you want to talk? Sure. Let me me start. Uh, Standard 509 in the ABA accreditation standards, which anyone can find by looking at the section on Legal Education's website, has a very bare-bones requirement that schools provide basic consumer information but it really doesn't give any detail at all about what schools need to disclose and how. And we're now considering a proposal, particularly about placement rates and salaries that would require schools to provide on an annual basis much more detailed information. Information like not just the overall number and percentage employed nine months after graduation, but also how many of them are working in full-time jobs or part-time jobs permanent jobs or temporary jobs, jobs where a JD is required, a JD is preferred, whether it's a, a, a professional job not related to a JD or a non-professional job, and also whether how many people are being employed directly or indirectly at the school's expense, which has been something that's been happening lately. So that, that's just a, a piece, but probably the most important piece of what we're considering, and if that's adopted... Uh, every prospective law student will have much more detailed, standardized information about how the graduates of a school they're thinking about attending are doing.
2: Kyle, what's your perspective on that? So, I mean, we're thrilled that the ABA and particularly Dean Yellen's subcommittee has taken this up with such seriousness and have genuinely recognized the problem. Uh, But we still fear that there's not enough disaggregation with the proposal as currently conceived The room for disconnect among employers, jobs, salaries, and locations for those jobs, it it appears to be too great. And the current problems with the ABA data now stem from those sorts of disconnects. Uh, Right now, the employment rates, they lack meaningful specificity. And many have argued that, rightfully so in my opinion, that a job is a job, which is the standard right now for determining what falls into the nine-month placement rate, is, is a useless metric. And pe- but people go to law school for a variety of reasons, and with with those reasons in mind, those people belong as part of the picture. the People who go to law school to get into politics or to run the family business or to to work for a hedge fund. The the problem is that you can't really tell right now where these jobs, where people are getting the jobs in particular, which kind of jobs they're getting, whether they're getting big law in New York from a certain school or if they're working at a very small law firm or working as a solo practitioner in New York right now when you see that, say, 10% of the school's graduates are in New York. And without this sort of level of connectivity or, as we've been terming it, uh, disaggregation of the current information, uh, I fear that prospective students will continue to be uninformed. Most right now don't know what the legal industry looks like other than through quick brushstrokes. And sometimes that's based on what they saw on TV. And schools are fully aware of the people applying to their schools and what they think they know and what they know. And so for those striving to take this detailed, holistic look at the diverse opportunities at different schools, I think that the current proposal will need to go a little further. But that said, it is off to a good start. And I certainly look forward to working with Dean Yellen and his subcommittee and then the rest of the Standards Review Committee to to find a workable solution, one that actually adequately informs prospective students.
0: I, I think I have one remaining question, which is what advice would you have at this point to a prospective law student?
3: Okay, I can jump in on that one. I actually get this question a lot, um, not, not only from um, the blogging and, and just people that see me on campus. My advice to prospective law students is do your homework straight up. You have to it's, – it's not enough to just listen to your family and friends because what I find is, is most damaging to prospective law students is that their their family and friends are so excited to have a, a lawyer in the family that they, they, they almost encourage their, their students to recklessly apply to law schools without any regard for whether the legal profession is even right for that person. A prospective law student needs to look think very critically about what their actual skill sets are and whether or not the legal profession is suited to them. They need to visit law schools, but they also need to visit law firms. They need to talk to legal practitioners from small law firms to big law firms. Uh, they, need to, they, they maybe should, should even visit, visit the bar associations and go to some of the CLEs so that they can, they can actually see the kind of engagement that practitioners have with each other. People need to know what the legal profession is about, what lawyering actually is, and we need to disabuse them of this notion that it's this fun, glamorous thing. Because as I've said in my blog and, and on the podcast, a lot of people seem to have formed their opinion of what the legal profession is solely from repeat viewings of Legally Blonde. And that's not at all an accurate reflection of what the profession is about. So I urge all prospective law students, do your homework. Don't just recklessly enroll. Make sure that you're you're doing the right thing for yourself and that you know what the loan burden is going to be on you and whether it's worth it for you to do this. Kyle?
2: I, I think perspectives need to ask questions and ask them to all the schools that they're applying to, and especially the ones they've been admitted to. Uh, in some cases, that's too late because it's difficult to tell what the job prospects are right now. So it's difficult to know what schools you should be applying to, but for the time being, if the perspectives need to be willing to engage with the schools and ask them the hard questions, ask them why is there not quality information available on your website, or ask them to explain the information if, as Dean Yellen pointed out, They say the median salary is $160,000, but they give no indication as to what percentage of the class is actually represented by those figures. And I think if perspectives start asking questions and show schools how much they care about the information and show that they're willing to look beyond just the U.S. news rank, we'll see perspectives starting to make more informed decisions. Dean Yellen?
1: Well, I think you shouldn't go to law school if you just don't know what else you want to do and you think getting a legal education can't hurt. You know, a lot of people have done that over the years and it's worked out for plenty of people, but I, I always recommend to people if that's your thinking, don't go to law school, or at least not right now until you think about it more carefully. So go to law school if you have a real passion for the profession or if you think that a legal education will directly help you in the career that you plan to pursue. And then be a really aggressive, smart consumer. Think about cost and what the debt load is going to be like after you graduate. Think about the school's programs, the school's reputation, looking well beyond, as Kyle said, looking well beyond just the U.S. News ranking. Think about geography. If you go to a school like ours, your prospects are going to be extremely bright in the Chicago area in a in a good economy, but we're much less known in Los Angeles or New York or Miami, and if you know you want to work in one of those places, you're probably better off going to a school there, unless you're going to be going to one of the top 10 or 12 schools in the country. So students need to be intelligent consumers. I think that we really try and help students make those decisions, but not all law schools do, and too many people go into it. Without really uh, having thought about it carefully enough.
0: Thank you so much, everybody, for participating, and we really appreciate it. This ABA Journal podcast was brought to you by Westlaw Next, building on the strengths of Westlaw to bring you the next evolution of legal research. The most significant innovation in 30 years, it's a complete research system that gives you confidence you found the most relevant information, and it elevates productivity with intuitive workflow tools. Learn more at westslidenext.com.